0: Ali Ali. Here's Lucas oh, it! It! Lucas Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur themed show brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. Another week, another win, and another opportunity for us to bask in the glory, however fleeting it may be, of sitting top of the Premier League. We did go five points clear for a moment, but unfortunately, results elsewhere have not done us any favours, so we are going to have to continue taking matters into our own hands, but we are delighted to be on top of the tree. In any case, Dave is off today, trick or treating. And speaking of spooky slash paranormal goings-on, the last time Spurs found themselves top by five points, was in fact 1961, and that's all I'm going to say about that before Sox leaves the podcast. (laughs) Speaking of Sox, he is one of two joining me today alongside Elio. Guys, welcome back for another week. We're top of the league. It's 10 games in. Time to start taking us remotely seriously, but we'll get on to that. First of all, how are you left feeling after... Another win, albeit a hard-fought one, against Palace the weekend. Good. I think it was
1: a good test of us against a side that were going to give us the low box treatment, but a much better side than the Sheffield United side who did, and Mm. one who are a staple in this league. And I think what it showed me was that we can still impose our game, but if those spaces in batines aren't appearing for us in the way that they would against a higher line than that, we do have the individual imagination to be able to find a way through. And that's something that previous attractive attacking Spurs sides have been accused of lacking not least the last good side we had which was under Pochettino so more on him later more on him later yeah but I think this was quite refreshing because even if we weren't able to tear Crystal Palace piece from piece we were able to rely on suffocating them into submission and then using that extra bit of quality as they say to find the way through and yeah I'm really pleased with that
0: Well, You've been very positive, Elio, and you are right to be because, of course, we're top of the league, so we need to take our victories. But the risk of sounding a little negative, socks, and if the answer to this question is actually yes, then it's probably not the worst thing, all things considered. But would you agree with me in saying that that was arguably our least impressive performance of the season so far?
2: Um To an extent, I mean, it, it felt like it picked up from where the second half against Fulham sort of left off a little bit, where we were sort of sludging through the game, but. Mm. I think Andrew mentioned his post-match press conference that this isn't a team that give up that many chances. I think, I can't remember, was it three goals conceded in four home games or four and three or something like that? And he made the point like there aren't going to be too many teams that come to Palace and hit three or four past them. To win is good enough. But I, I think maybe because we started the season so well and the football has for the most part been really fluent and free-flowing... I think maybe we have been a little bit at fault of expecting every game to be this and We're going to smash you all kind of three or four nil. And sometimes you just got to win a football match or whatever. So I agree in the sense that I don't think it was a particularly incredible performance. But again, Ange mentioned it after the game where he said, we're learning to win games in different ways. Yeah. And you're going to have your five twos against Burnley's and you're going to have to go away to a team like Arsenal who are very good and grind out a sort of 2-2 draw. And this was one of those... It's almost disrespectful to call Palace a banana skin because there's almost an implication that they're not actually a good team. They're just a potentially (laughs) dangerous team, but... Yeah. You know what I like mean? We like, have
0: to lose to them. They won't beat us, basically. Exactly.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I know they didn't have Elise Areze, but Sel has Park under the lights, as much of a cliche as it is. Like I said, how many teams go there and hit them for five or four? It doesn't happen that often. So just because we didn't blow them away, I wouldn't say it was bad. It was maybe a bit uninspiring, but mm. I don't think I'm sort of any more concerned or anything like that, having watched that or the back end of the
0: Fulham game. I think defensively, particularly on their left-hand side, they did a really good job. I think Kudosevsky is brilliant as he's been this season. He had a hard time because I think, is it Gahey and Mitchell on that side of their defence? Yeah, it's and uh, Mitchell. continue to do very, very well. And I think we didn't look particularly strong going down that side. Um, Elio, I'm going to take this opportunity just to plug your new article because you have, of course, partnered with, as have I, with Vavil, where we're going to be posting a couple of articles. You've started off with a match report of the game that is now up and live, and we will, of course, post the link on the Plus Dave Twitter. You've gone through and given a rating for all the players, so you've had a good look on both sides. Should we talk about some of those ratings and some of the players? I'm not going to read them all out, but just to kind of flip things on its head, we normally talk about all the great performers that we have to pick from. Who are you not impressed with from our side in this game? Who do you think was perhaps a little bit under their usual level?
1: It's hard to say unimpressed with anyone just because I think this game was very much dictated by the systems both sides played and where palaces was set up to mitigate our strengths and where ours was set up to play to our strengths but equally not expose palaces' weaknesses. So I think it's more of a game of systems rather than a game of individuals. But if I'm, mm. if I'm really to look at it, I think... I think... On an individual basis, you mentioned Kulisewski, It wasn't his best. I think Gea and Mitchell did a very, very good job on him. I think yeah. they had Schlupp as well. So they were tripling up on him, essentially, down that side. On the other side, I think Richarlison mixed bag is the best thing I can say about Richarlison in that game because some of his one-touch stuff to lay players off was good. But when he actually had to control the ball, he couldn't. When he had time to think about a pass or a shot, he'd inevitably get it wrong. And I'm beginning to see a player who we don't want to ever have time to think on the ball really, at least in his current state mm. of mind. So so he he was disappointing for me. I think Besuma was a low part as well, but yeah, I would agree. say dramatically, so nothing hugely concerning. What I would say is once again, Basuma didn't have the usual spaces to play in that you'd expect for him. Horror obviously made a bit of a mistake on their goal but was brilliant in the build up to our second and was yeah. brilliant to save us the win at the end of the last day challenge so I don't don't want to go too hard on him. I don't think there was anyone that I can say played badly. I think Richardson was probably Mm. the one that I'd say was most disappointing just because of what I mentioned but most of them I think played the game that they're always going to play in these circumstances. Madison too, despite being key to both goals, was subdued, but he was subdued because he was given a far more sort of bottleneck of a Palace midfield to work through. So his job was a hell of a lot harder and make no questions about it, Palace's midfield is a very well-drilled side as any
0: Roy Hodgson midfield will be. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it is definitely a case of the players having set the bar so high for themselves on the basis of their early performances that anything less than something spectacular, we think they're having a bad game but you're right no one really had a bad game as such I would say just as I suggested with Spurs that's probably Madison's least spectacular performance overall but of course he was heavily involved in both the goals which is the kind of player he is isn't it um, you mentioned Richarlison there I noticed something that reminded me of something you'd said Sox a few weeks ago about his mentality and he was doing quite well I thought for the first 10-15 minutes Nelio mentioned a couple of his first time passes into Madison picking the ball out on the left he did one where he just completely scuffed it or he missed the ball and it just went out and Pretty much from that moment on, he seemed to just his head seemed to drop, didn't it? Are you now at the point, given how sharp once again Johnson looked when he came on, of thinking, and we'll get on to the Chelsea game, of course, as our next fixture? Are you thinking it's time to start Johnson and just maybe give Richardson some time on the sidelines?
2: I mean, it already happened where we signed Johnson and his first game was Arsenal away and he went straight into the team. And I think the only reason he didn't start a couple of games since then is because he picked up that injury during that game. So I I think it's already kind of happened. So I think if Ange were to name his best 11 and obviously he'd come out and say, no, I don't have one, but we all know the way the squad is at the moment, he absolutely does. With the plays available at the moment, I think Johnson absolutely starts on that left. And I would, I said it when we recorded before the Palace game, I expected him to start against Palace and he didn't, but I'm going to say the same thing again. I expect him now to start against Chelsea. I think with Richarlison, again, we're touching on him quite a lot now. I mean, what you mentioned, actually, he did very similar against Bournemouth, third game of the season, where I thought he had a brilliant hour. And then there was one, I can't remember what it was that he did. I think maybe he missed a chance yeah, and his head he dropped. its
0: he tripped over the ball, didn't he? Or yeah, something. something
2: like that. And his head dropped and all of a sudden yeah. he started fouling somebody recklessly and he got a yellow and he got subbed off. And he's so, I don't want to use the word fragile, but let's just say low on confidence that it doesn't take much to kind of sort of blow him off course. So I think with him now, looking at it long-term, I think Richarlison now is on a kind of a... This season is his probationary period and I think we're going to have to make a decision come May in terms of whether he's passed or failed that. So I think we can obviously analyse it on a week-by-week, game-by-game basis, but I'm kind of already looking forward to May to see what he looks like then and then I think and he's not the only one in that position I would say but I think with him it's now almost like a week by week trial and then come May we'll look at it and go okay have you passed or are we gonna sell you off back to probably Everton or wherever he'll go so yeah we mentioned it before the Palace game and I do think it's gonna head that way but when he gets dropped it's gonna be so much harder for him to come off the bench and make an impact over 20 or 30 minutes and and that's kind of my concern for him.
0: Yeah, it all points to squad depth again, doesn't it? You know, it'd be great if we just had all the players to put in from square one, but we need to rotate a little bit and figure it out. And I think nowhere was that better demonstrated than our left-back option and Ben Davies in this game, Elio. I think we all obviously talked to death about how much we love Destiny Odogi, And I think we all have a soft spot for Davies as a long-standing Spurs servant, but he didn't look comfortable in this inverting role in this match, did he?
1: He didn't, but I'd cut him a little bit of slack of that he hasn't had many minutes this season. So he's probably got a bit of rust there as well. What I would say is that Ben Davies in a high line against fast wingers is probably the worst possible way to or the best possible way depending on uh, your phrase to expose where he is at his weakest and I think it was probably the right choice to bring him off for Emerson at halftime let's not forget that Davis has just had a small knock himself and come back from it too He's not a player that I'm overly concerned about in terms of having to use him this season. I think he's built up more than enough trust, but I think a bit like how Sox described Emerson on the last podcast, we're probably seeing a player whose long-term future at Spurs is kind of already written. But for now... I'm yeah not too many alarm bells. It just wasn't the right circumstance for his type of player having played very little football. If Davies was coming into this match having played the last three on the trot, even Mm. with his sort of perceived lack of pace, I think he'd have been all right to tell you the truth. But this was just
0: probably a little bit too much of a tall order in the circumstances. I think that's all it was. Yeah, fair enough. And more importantly, I think Udogi's back for the next game. You'd think, right, I imagine he'll probably start against Chelsea. Yeah, because he was
1: only unwell. It wasn't a physical injury. I think it was just an illness.
0: Is that right? Okay, okay. Well, hopefully he's all fine for them, but we'll see what happens next time he's out, whether it's uh, Emerson coming in or Davies. But yeah, let's try and limit those injuries and illnesses, shall we? So first half was not great. Obviously, as Sock said earlier, picking up from the second half of the previous game, looks like we dropped a little bit, but we definitely looked like a different team at the start of the second half and we got the goal pretty soon afterwards. Not the most spectacular goal we've ever scored. We'll save that for 2-0, but what do you make of the goal that put us ahead? Who gives a shot? It went in. Yeah. (laughs) That's why I make it. There you go.
2: I couldn't care less. I I couldn't give it to us. They all count,
0: Sox. That's it. They all count, yeah. Exactly. I think it's worth mentioning that Madison actually, uh, it depends on how far back you want to take a passage of play, but Madison pressing the goalkeeper was what led to the throw-in that ended up in that goal i don't know if you noticed that he nearly nicked it off the keeper and and got an easy goal and then yeah just a a nice little move a little bit of fortune and madison just kind of doing what he had to do um but let's talk about the second goal because i think i just said that this might have been our worst performance of the season by default i also at the same time think that might be my favorite goal we've scored all year all the way from vicario lovely one touch moves a few bits of great skill and son getting on the end of it is that up there what do you think
1: it was a very good goal it's, yeah I think it's fair to say well you could at least argue the case of it being our best goal of the season I mean let's not forget Romero's Thunder Bastard and it was a Thunder Bastard uh, but despite what um, Dave might I, protest I, yeah. I think in terms of <laughs> playing complete football yeah started off with the goalkeeper utilised the system very well because it went out to Porro who'd inverted at that point who played it round uh, himself actually <laughs> rather than round the corner straight into Sartre beautiful hit from Saar yeah. and I think Johnson's awareness to actually head the ball the way he did, and then pelt straight away to run on a return pass was yeah. was beautiful and very heads up football as well. I'd call that, and well, you'd give the ball some there as uh, Arsenal found out as well. It's not going anywhere but the back of the nets. I, I think <laughs> exactly. I think he's actually somehow improved his finishing
0: if that's even possible. Yeah a uh, lovely guy. It was a weird header from Johnson, wasn't it? Like, it was a strange kind of technique, but he did exactly what it needed to. Without wanting to, you know what I'm like with my lofty
1: comparisons, so so I'm going to try and... Are you and... going to say Dele Alley? No, 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 no. The way he headed it, the way he actually cushioned and passed it as a header was the way have yeah. used to as well. It was <laughs> really, really composed. It was really, really aware. It was, yeah. I mean, he headed it as well as he'd have kicked it in that situation. That That's how
0: yeah. good it was. And credit to Sa for the lovely 45 yard switch first time to the left uh, To get it all set up as well. Speaking Charon of Saar. F. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think we said that at the time, didn't we? Speaking of Saar, one of his better performances so far in his and that's saying something because he's been excellent pretty much since he came into the team. What did you make of him for the weekend? Uh, I, I didn't
2: yeah. think he was that outstanding. I thought he was more impressive a few weeks ago. I don't think he was bad, don't get me wrong. I, I thought most of our players were like seven out of tens. So I don't think he did too much to warrant anything massively higher than a seven or anything like that. I thought Van de Ven was the one that we might speak about and said pretty, but I thought he was the one that maybe stood head and shoulders above the rest. But it was another, you're almost getting used to these sort of stars performances now. He pops up pretty much everywhere all the time, whether it's like clearing something at the back, popping up up front. This was, like you guys just said, slightly different in the sense that this is the first time we've, we've seen him hit a Skulls Gerard esque diagonal yeah. or whatever. But for the most part, it was just another kind of, for someone so young and so inexperienced, he just does what you kind of want him to do and expect him to do. So I don't think it was outstanding. I didn't walk away and think, bloody hell, this guy. But I, is fairly consistent nowadays to be heard to him. So you get you have a seven out of ten. Elio, you're giving him an eight out of ten. I think we're in danger of holding Sar to
1: too high a standard based on what he's already done for us. I think Sar Sartre- It's almost weird, but our style and our system is almost designed to show Van der Ven off with what he does because our system is to, (laughs) when we concede attacks, concede attacks that get in behind where our 100-metre sprinter of a centre-back can then absolutely bully the opposition forwards. It's weird. Usually systems show off what forwards can do. This is actually showing off what Van der Ven can do, which is why I'm never really worried about the balls in behind. We could have 15 balls in behind a game and I'd say, well, that's our tactic to concede see possession that way and let Van der Ven sort it out. Saar, the thing that really, I mean, don't get me wrong, Van der Ven was brilliant by the way, but I think the reason I'm really impressed with Saar from this game is that of our midfielders, he was the only one that did seem to be able to find spaces, find gaps, carry the ball into space. He was any loose ball. He was always there. I think of our midfielders, he was actually the one that really sort of, Drove us, and I'm not saying that he was spectacular, but I think it was a really, really mature and a really, really well rounded performance. Some um, which you could have all of his yeah. performances, I guess, but against a team that are designed to restrict what the midfield can do and try and coax you into hitting long balls for their sort of trolls of centre backs to head clear, <laughs> he was the player that was actually managing to still play the game on his terms, and that's why I was impressed with him.
0: You mentioned Ben Deven there, another one who I think, not for the first time far from for the first time had another great game socks you were particularly impressed with him again showed off his outrageous pace on a couple of occasions uh, what do you think of him
2: yeah i said last week or on thursday when you asked me about james madison does the pope the woods and this is another <laughs> does the pope the Woods moment <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's just I, I take elio's point on the system kind of showing him off because we're so yeah. much more kind of at threat to that ball over the top that he's able to just continuously sort of run like 100 meter sprinter and just kind of run to it every single time but Again, uh, I feel like we're saying the same thing every week about him. Like he's so unbelievably composed and calm on the ball. And this was a game where, oddly, he was he was getting a fair bit of a battering. Like he went down obviously in the first half. Like yeah, that red band really got one on the Achilles
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, can we mention how Dirty Palace were by the way because there were a lot of fouls I oh, it was like Tony Pulis' is stoked. it was exactly yeah. it, was kind yeah. of what it was like the South London equivalent
1: yeah, yeah maybe um, it's because he reminds you of your grandmother but I thought I expected better from Roy Hodgson Just
0: <laughs> <laughs> kind of the old man
2: you, you think he'd be going soft by now <laughs> <laughs> It's always the ones you least suspect <laughs> yeah yeah I mean he's yeah, I think Jamie Carragher was really raving about him on the commentary as well about mm. just kind of how composed and excellent he looked and you're kind of running out of super relatives and i think we had a discussion only a few weeks ago about which one is better between him and romero and it seems scandalous that i'm starting to think in the back of my mind I'm like what if it's actually him like what if it's actually valid <laughs> and, and it probably isn't hey, it doesn't but matter, he's does, making it? me kind of have that thought kind of pop into my head and go bloody hell this guy and I can only sort of echo what we've spoken about in the past, literally just in the last episode where I think he is our most important player by default and I think this reinforces that and even if you had another Romero on the bench, it wouldn't be enough to substitute the sort of speed and the, the weapon that, that is and again, yeah. we said on the last episode it's it's like Carl Walker at centre back and the amount of moves that he can single-handedly break down is absolutely yeah. phenomenal so crossing everything that he doesn't break anything or sprain anything yeah. or
0: put anything. <laughs> well, if you got through that match on Scave, then I think he's obviously pretty tough. Exactly, um, yeah. I, I, I think it's quite nice to hear commentators and pundits recognising him for more than just his pace though because I think that's, that's been the chat all along. He's like look how quick this guy is. Now people are starting to wake up to the fact that even he's if he wasn't composed. that quick, he'd still be a very good centre back. It just makes him a ridiculously good centre back. He's very, very composed and he's very good in the air as well. I will call you up on yeah. one thing.
1: Last week you said you don't think you've ever seen someone you've never felt as confident when balls were played sort of into the channels and in behind as you are now with Van der Ven. Ledley King did it as well. Which I mean, I, I just want to
0: once every six games. Just though.
1: want to call that one out. Well, once every six games. No, Ledley King was doing the exact same things. So he wasn't quite as rapid, but once again, you'd always expect him to sweep all those behind. So I just, I just listened to that in the last episode, and I thought, hang on a second, this person did watch Ledley King, so I need to bring this up next time. <laughs> Socks,
0: anything to say? Oh wait, is it? Is it wait,
1: is he calling me out or Daga? No, Daga daggers daggers, is, on is the one that oh, said yeah, that yeah. he doesn't think he's yeah, ever yeah. seen the spurs defender do this before
0: did i say that i'll, I'll take a word for you it i mean my memory is terrible as you know i'd have to listen back but i i stand firmly corrected Elio. i'm never going to argue for too long with you especially about the history of spurs and things from more than a week ago i don't think anyone will argue with though is that christian Romero continues to be brilliant and um a little stat here i'm not really sure what to make of it but it's quite interesting that he he completed 141 passes in that game which is the most <laughs> by any spurs player in a single Premier League game since 2003-04. I imagine at least half of those were immediately back and forth to Vicario, however, at that moment, which was somehow really satisfying just because they were losing. They weren't pressing. And it was it was almost like he, he was just like, all right, we'll just do this then, shall we? If you're not going to give us a game, then we'll just keep passing it back. What did you make of, of Romero in this game? I mean, Romero's brilliant as
1: always. Yeah. I mean, his one-to-one defending is exceptional. He's mm. snuffing out attacks before they even happen. It's like having a, a defensive midfielder and a center back at the same time the way he's playing at the moment and and you c- you can't really be more pleased with what he's doing what i would say is that him and van der ven maybe by chance but i think by design are just the perfect complement to one another and so romero yeah. can play that way in the knowledge that van der ven is there in the same way that van der ven can sort of read play and, and wait to react to things in the knowledge that romero is the one doing the proactive. Stuff. So I I just, it's weird to say that Spurs have an excellent centre back partnership, but they do.
0: They certainly do. They certainly do. And they have a pretty damn good goalkeeper as well. Quick shout out to Vicario, who got in his uh, customary wonder save, as he tends to do pretty much every week, off of Odson Eduard, who I think, if I remember correctly, scored his first goal against us, or his first couple of goals against us way back when we started this in a horrible game. But yeah, Vicario gives me a good opportunity to read out a brilliant quote from him. So Vicario, when asked about joining Spurs, apparently recently came out and said, this was what I wanted and I didn't want to listen to anything else. As soon as I knew there was an opportunity to come here, I would have signed in blood. I would have walked from Italy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> like, Ellie, you said that before, didn't you, about the way sometimes Italian journalists speak in the media when they translated it. looks like it definitely comes through to the players as well. bit of love for the courier.
1: Absolutely but I think we've got a group of players that for whatever reason
0: really really care about what they're doing and uh, I'd say that's not least to do with the manager. Absolutely. It wasn't quite plain sailing in the end. We made it a little bit difficult for ourselves but we saw it through. I don't want to get into too much detail about the goal and whether it should have been allowed or not but just quickly in a few words do you think that should have been disallowed for the handball?
1: I think so because I don't think it falls to him the way it did if it doesn't roll off as arm. Simple as mm. I think, yes, he did chest at first, but the ball was still going in a different direction to where it ended up. So I think it should have been, but I'm fairly old school in that. I think if the ball touches the hand on the way to being a goal, it should be disallowed regardless of intent. I thought that was, rule.
0: Um, thought that was a rule like apparently truth, but
1: Who knows? What I will say is that I think in real time, you're never seeing that ball hit the hand and so as someone who is recently converted to being very anti-VAR on that (laughs) basis well look how long they took to check it and decide that it was a goal or not there was nothing clear and obvious so on that basis it should have been a goal but but I do think generally any handball in the build-up to a goal should lead to a disallowment. but that's
2: very much a subjective view.
0: We'll have the work on Elio's definition of quick in future, but let's come over to Sox now for his, for his thoughts.
2: <laughs> <laughs> in real time, I was seething, but then someone sent me the rule and I've got it in front of me. And it says, it's, it's an offensive a player has considered to make their body unnaturally bigger when their position of their hand or arm is not a consequence of or justifiable by their body movement for that specific situation. So effectively, if they've made themselves unnaturally bigger and unnaturally means it doesn't justify what they're doing and it hits their arm, even if it hits it by accident, then it's disallowed. Mm. But if you look at his arm, it wasn't in an unnatural position at all. So I completely agree with ellie in that I think it's a handball, but by the letter of the law, because it doesn't sit up for him to hit it if it doesn't hit his hand. Mm. But at the same time, he's effectively being penalized for having arms by the letter of the law because he's not, his arms aren't wide. They're just by his size exactly where they should be. So yeah. uh, if, if it were me, the spirit of the game, if you want, yeah. the spirit of the rule is that's a handball that gets ruled out. The way the bullshit laws exist now is that it's probably a goal. I don't know why it took them so long to check it. That was probably the most frustrating thing for me because you were like, what are they checking? Like, do they know if it's hit the hand? Is that what they're not sure of? Do they?" Know? I'm not sure what's worse, that maybe it took them five minutes to see whether it had hit the hand or they'd seen that it hit the hand and then it took them five minutes to deliberate whether they thought it was a handball. I don't know which one is the worst outcome. I'd be interested to see if they, because obviously they very specifically hand select the incidents that they're going to release the audio tapes of. So I'd be yeah. curious to see what the thought process was and get, obviously it didn't matter. We won the game anyway, but I'm curious to kind of find the, the explainer for that but I mean it was it, a hell of a it, strike it's, as it's well so I mean the goalkeeper had no chance whatsoever
1: yeah,
2: I
0: think it's a case of it's the rule we dislike as opposed to the decision. Well, from that, I think I can deduce I am none the wiser as to whether it was a handball or not. And I think I can categorize <laughs> that neither of you know how to be succinct or quick in giving your wrapped-up opinions. <laughs> I never so, promised like, we'd no, no, I would be to be fair, you didn't. No, and no, no. why should you be? Before we move on to talk about the Chelsea game, because obviously that's a huge fixture coming up for various reasons, we saw the lovely return to the pitch of Rodrigo Bensonko, which I, I don't think anyone was necessarily expecting. I was quite surprised to see him on the subs. Bench. And he got a few minutes out. It wasn't exactly a walk in the park. He had some stuff to do. Elio, he looked sharp for a man coming back from about a year off the pitch, didn't
1: he? Yeah, there was absolutely no rust whatsoever. I was very pleasantly surprised, especially a player like him who his game is based a lot around sort of his ability to turn, around his sort of mobility, around his technique and touch. I thought... Mm. I thought it looked like he'd never been gone alright it was a very small sample size and if he'd come on five minutes early he might have been blowing for the last five minutes but I was really really pleased with what I saw and given that he did actually have to put in a bit of a shift and it wasn't just a case of meandering to an easy win it it gave him a chance to show that he he is ready to be involved again probably still going to be on the bench for a couple more games I imagine as he builds up more and more fitness and they have a lot of sports science that dictates how long they can play and, and this kind kind of stuff. But yeah, really, really pleased. I,
0: I wasn't even expecting yeah. to see him for a good three, four weeks. Talking about how good a game Sar I had, I just made me laugh. I saw on Twitter someone posted Benton Kerr returns from injury and then saw and it was that Michael Jordan meme of and I took that personally. Well <laughs> that was quite good. <laughs> So, I guess we'll talk about whether Benson Kerr comes walking straight back into the team or not in the future episode because he's probably a couple of games away from the team. But let's see how that goes. Next game is, of course, Chelsea. And needless to say, a huge fixture in any season, at any time, Chelsea at home. But all the more tantalizing down to the fact that it is the grand return of Mr. Pochettino, who we've had a few games to watch his Chelsea stutter their way through the season. They look very, very good against Arsenal, then threw it away. They didn't look particularly great against Brentford. No one really knows what they are. But of course, it's a manager we know well. Before we get into the game, guys, what sort of reception are we expecting? Elliot, you're going to be there. What are you anticipating when he walks out onto the pitch?
1: It's a, I mean, he won't walk out on the pitch, probably, thankfully no, for him. but probably not on the um, actual pitch. He's not Arteta. <laughs> I don't Emperor. know to tell you the truth. I mean, I'm trying to think now if there's a mention of the opposition manager at Spurs when the opposition lineups are read out. It's something I've never actually paid attention to before because I've never had a no. reason to before but I don't think it is I'm wondering when the opportunity to boo him will be other than maybe if he gets onto the edge of his manager's box and in, in the dugout personally I think he, just when dug- he walks out surely just when like, he shows his face maybe yeah but personally I don't think he deserves a hostile reception he's someone who mm. was the best Spurs manager of our time supporting Spurs as a collection of early to now late 30 year olds between us he's someone who really did embrace the values of the club did a lot of good and I mean, I was at a Champions League final, something I never thought would happen yeah. in my life. So so I really don't think he deserves hostility from our fans more than any other Chelsea manager would, is the caveat for that. Yes, so, yes. Um, he is the enemy currently. Exactly. He doesn't deserve any animosity for the fact that he's taken the Chelsea job. The guy was out of work. He's not a Spurs product. He wasn't a Spurs player. He's not a local boy product. Mm. This isn't Sol Campbell going to Arsenal, for goodness sake. This is a non-Englishman who was our manager for just over five years who did a very good job who we've had a couple of opportunities to bring him back to the club and not and by all accounts from people who know Pochettino personally like Aussie Ardillas he would have definitely taken the job had we offered it to him and eventually he took the job of a very high spending very high finishing team in the Premier League who would be paying him very very well I I just I don't see the crime he's committed so I don't think he deserves to be treated as any worse than we treat any other Chelsea manager now.
0: <laughs> it helps they're, they're a bit rubbish I think though, there, will be be an,
1: there will be an element that boo him, but I think yeah. it won't be anything ridiculous. On the flip side, I also don't think he should get any kind of hero's welcome as a manager. Not because he's gone to Chelsea, but because he's not our manager anymore. I don't want us giving any kind of warm welcome to our returning ex-manager. I just want us to pretend that he's the Chelsea manager
2: and nothing else to us.
0: Socks, booze or claps or somewhere in between. Uh,
2: I expect there will be a a mixed reception, yeah. I I agree with Elio for the most part, to be totally Mm. honest with you. I I think you show your love for Ange more so... You love the guy that's currently here. You don't hate the guy that was here before. I think the only time we sing about him is if we're like 6-0 up and we can joke about him getting sacked in the morning or something. (laughs) Yeah, his his magic,
0: you know, will come out at 3-0, won't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something sarcastic (laughs) I like is fine. I don't think it should be tirades of abuse. Like I agree with Elio. Like I'd be lying if I said that... I didn't have a soft spot for him still because ultimately Mm. you've got somebody that made me feel a lot of good things and he was the manager that gave me the most of the good feelings and it's hard for that to totally disappear and i guess because i hate arsenal more than i hate chelsea like if this was Arsenal, i'd probably be singing a totally different tune and even though i really do hate chelsea it's never been as much for me so i can kind of i don't know about layer off but we've spoken before like he would have dropped the pen whilst he was signing the contract to be chelsea manager to have come and managed tottenham if he'd gotten a text from Daniel Levy. So I don't think it's him promising us anything. Like this isn't Sol Campbell. Yeah, I'm staying. And then off he pops, you know, randomly in a a press conference with Arsene Wenger just a few months later. Like he would have come back. We know he wanted to come back. I question his decision making in terms of if he's not going to come to Tottenham, why go to Chelsea? Like, there's one thing to not come back to Spurs, but it's another to pick them just as a sporting project. Forget the actual rivalry for a second, but that's neither here nor there, I suppose. So I agree with Elliot. I think our fans will probably give him some, and I think there's a lot of people who might be listening to this that think we're a little bit nuts because of the anger that they feel for Chelsea and the hatred they feel for them is maybe a bit more than ours. And I don't think there's necessarily an issue for that. But like I said, I think my sort of message is support the guy that's here. He's the one that's making us feel good at the moment. So. Let's just back
0: in. Absolutely, Sos. You're damn right. Both of you are absolutely right. I agree with all of that. And more importantly, dare I say, what have you made of him as Chelsea manager so far? Mixed results. Probably playing quite well, but not getting the results, I think is a, a safe summary. But what have you noticed?
2: It's a weird one because everything we say about Spurs on a weekly basis, you can attribute it to Chelsea times a thousand. Because what are the things we say? Like, it's a brand new team. We need time, familiarity, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Not enough sample size. 27 new players. Exactly. Yeah, yeah they've, they've got like 40 players coming off the bench and you never even heard of them before. Mm. And it's just like there's Chukwomeka and Ukuchuku or whatever. And it's like, no, I've got no idea. For the first time in my life, like it's very rare that you look at, say, Man United or Arsenal or City and you've never heard of a player that's on their bench or whatever. And I'm looking at that entire bench and I've never heard of about eight of the nine that are on there and whatnot. So everything we apply to Tottenham, you have to apply to them. And despite the fact that they've spent a billion quid or whatever it is, they still don't have anybody to put the ball in the back of the net. And I think they have a very good reason to feel that if it wasn't for individual mistakes, which is both their goalkeeper, plus not having anybody at the top end of the pitch to put the ball in the back of the net, they could have got a win against Arsenal. They could have got a win, I think it was, away at Bournemouth. They missed a bunch of chances at home to Forest, which they lost. Again, at Brentford yesterday, whatever it was, which they lost. And all of a sudden, there may be five points behind you or something like that, as opposed to the double kind of figures that they are. So they're in a bit of a, a weird and kind of vulnerable position. I don't know if the thing will last because ultimately what you've got with them is an um, owner that's come in and is trying to attack a culture that has been rooted in that fan base for the past two decades. And he's done it in such a hard and fast way as opposed to doing it in kind of like a staggered way that there will come a point where these shitty results continue and it's all going to fall on sort of Todd Bowley and will he kind of pull the trigger or not? And I hope he does because it's going to be absolutely fucking hilarious. But for the moment, I think he's not doing a horribly bad job when you consider the circumstances. I don't think he's doing a horribly bad job, but I think
1: there is an expectation when a manager comes in And does have that big an overhaul and spend that much money of a little bit more than they've produced at the moment. I mean, Pep got very, very quick results with that Manchester City side. Yes, it tailed off a little bit in that first season, but Mm. it was definitely nowhere near as bad. As this, and um, they were still very comfortably in the Champions League at the end of the season, which I don't expect Chelsea will be. Then look at Mourinho when he first joined Chelsea twenty years ago now, or ish. In fact, it wasn't nearly twenty years ago, wasn't it? It was two thousand and four. He came in, basically bought a whole brand new first team, and absolutely yeah. romped the league for those first two seasons. So yes, the quality a lot of-, of the players, though, I think, is the difference. But I think Chelsea yeah. have signed quality players. I just think that. Pochettino is the wrong manager for the big expensive transfer splurge. The biggest success he's had in his career Mm. both times, Southampton and us, have been in situations where he's been an underdog and his team have been an underdog. And regardless of how many players they've bought and how new the players are, there's no way you can call this lot of Chelsea players underdogs. And if they have spent all that on underdogs, then they could have bought some very, very good players for a lot less money who could hit the ground running under a manager like Pochettino. You know, I mean, look,
0: it's like done. they're trying to disguise a really expensive splurge as a project by buying unknown players for a load of money. <laughs> That's what it's almost looks well, like. Well,
2: it is. It's, it's the second thing that Elio said, because if you look at who they bought, they haven't bought. I mean, their best player is Cole Palmer at the moment, who's a city kind of reject youth player that couldn't break into their team. Like this isn't then coming out and signing Carvalho, Claude McAlealy, et cetera, et cetera, et, yeah. et cetera. Like, I mean, they had the rule that in the summer they weren't allowed to sign a single player over 24. Or 25, and that's why they didn't bother going for somebody like James Madison. So, what they've done is they've gone for a youth project, but they've done it to such an extreme. Like, I've never seen anybody do anything like this before, mm. which is why I'm looking forward to it failing because there isn't <laughs> a manager out there that, that has ever dealt with it genuinely. Like, if they sat Pochettino, there's nobody they go for because there's nobody in football that has ever seen anything like this. Like, yeah. there's a youth project, but in, what we have at the moment, you could sort of argue, is a youth project because you look at Sa, Van der Ven. Udogi and a handful of others who are both young and inexperienced. And you could even put maybe Poro to an extent there, but there are some adults in the room, like there's Basuma, mm. there's Madison, there's Hoyberg, there's Sun, there's a world cup winner in Romero. Vacario isn't tremendously experienced because a 26 year old, they've literally just fielded their team with 11 Pape Sars. Yeah. And it's to, it's, it's to the point where it's not even about the quality at that point. It's, it's they're all babies, they're all children, they're all in year three by comparison, (laughs) apart from Tiago Silva, who's an OAP by comparison. So there's absolutely nothing in that middle ground. So I think there's such a weird project that, I don't want to kind of defend them or defend Pochettino necessarily because it's not about them, but it's such a, a weird mishmash of a football mm-hmm. club at the moment, and I think we're seeing it burn down in front of our very eyes in slow motion, and I think it will be glorious. <laughs> Almost really like they having
0: the season we were supposed to have. You know how we were talking about how it's going to take a long time to bed these yes, players exactly, in, yeah. and don't expect the results straight away. Just expect some nice football, and then mm. maybe it'll click towards the second half. This is what I was expecting from us, not them. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I think when you look at, yeah, there's a lot of youth
1: in there. There's definitely a lot of very expensive project players, but... They've also signed people with Premier League experience and Premier League pedigree. That they've got people like Moises Casado, Raheem Sterling, Robert Sanchez, obviously yeah. in goal. I mean, I have no idea what they're doing with goalkeepers at Chelsea. To tell you the truth, they they <laughs> nah, nah. they signed the Southampton guy. I can't remember his name, who was really good despite them going down. Like they, they've genuinely brought in some good players. So I, I really don't feel that their current position is justified and yes they've had a few green shoots of some nice football but ultimately they've also got 12 points from 10 games I mean this must be Chelsea's worst start in the league since well since Abramovich took over. I can't. Have they had yeah, worse?
0: almost definitely. Almost definitely. It's quite worrying though, in a way, isn't it? Because, you know, the cynical Spurs fan that's seen too much in us will look at that and think, oh, they're due the result. They're due one where this pays off and their, oh, their dominance on the pitch comes out as a win. And wouldn't the script of football by the malevolent football gods just write it so perfectly that Pochettino comes and gets his big statement win back at Spurs, who are top of the league. You can see it written in the stars, can't you? Elio, as you reminded me earlier on when talking about my the okay ignorance towards Ledley King obviously I don't remember those years particularly well so can you remind me and remind our listeners what we can expect tactically and in terms of the approach from Pochettino what kind of game do you think we're going to see I
1: mean you're asking me to do Dave's job right now I think Um, I am Dave's um, not here I I think Chelsea will try to press high I think they're going to try to retain possession where they can I think there's going to be a fairly risk-averse approach and by risk-averse us, I don't mean defensive. I just mean that Pochettino likes high percentage yeah, passes, and I think there'll be yeah. a lot of that. And I think their best chance of getting through us will be from a moment of individual brilliance from someone like Sterling or Nicholas Jackson. I think that that's almost what they're banking on at this point until they do find some kind of synchronicity, some kind of rhythm. So, so that, that that's what I expect and. I don't don't want to have too big a mouth about this because God knows Chelsea likes us, but I I expect that it will play into our hands a lot because I think Mm. where we are still a work in process, what we're doing very, very clearly suits the players we have on the pitch at the moment. And I think that we'll be able to expose them with our ability to play around the press with our ability to outrun an opposition team, with our ability to play a slick move that gets in behind. And also in terms of players that can pull something out of the bag, out of nothing, we have those two it seems so so yeah, I yeah. this is going to bite me in the ass
0: big time but I just don't think I've ever been so confident about a game against Chelsea Oh, I do not <laughs> like I do not like that sentence uh, there's there's a chance that that sentence will be replayed to start our next podcast depending on what happens um, <laughs> it's
1: a good thing we don't have that many listeners
0: then yet <laughs> yeah. what worries me most apart from your overconfidence Elio is um, they had Arsenal up against the ropes and I think they looked very good and I mentioned this to you earlier talk about how I think they're going to be more like what we saw against Arsenal than what we saw in the subsequent game against Brentford simply because we are probably a closer team in the way we play to Arsenal and there's a really good video actually by TIFO Football including John McKenzie formerly on this show where they're basically talking about how intelligent and how well-structured Chelsea's out-of-possession game is how good their press is Connor Gallagher we all know how good he is off the ball and they really did a bit of a masterclass on Arsenal in that regard in the game obviously that's something we're going to have to be well-prepared for we know Pochino's team's press as Elio just alluded to what do you think is going to to be the way to deal with that from a Spurs perspective.
2: Um, I mean, we know with Ange that he doesn't really change the overall philosophy anyway. Like, we won't really adapt massively in the grand scheme or of things. Be the to key, the- maybe to put um, it another way, I mean, uh, against Arsenal, they were they were pretty much suffocating them, and the only way Arsenal recovered was when they started hitting it long to sort of Kai Havertz in the second mm. half. I suppose it's, it, it, I mean, look, it, it's very different at Stamford Bridge than it, it will be at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And to your point that you said before, I mean, if I remember Pochettino with Tottenham, it was the low block teams that you always struggled against. And the teams that kind of came out and attacked were always yeah. the ones where we kind of got the most joy. The so thing. I don't think there's going to be, there's not going to be anything too different to when we play teams like sort of Arsenal, City, Liverpool. In other words, teams that do have some decent kind of quality going forward. I know you have just sort of criticizing for not having a goal scorer, but there is, Cole Palmer has looked decent, to be fair to him, Raheem Sterling has had a really yeah. good start to the season or whatever. So I don't think it's going to be anything that is going to surprise us. I mean, mm-hmm. any team with kind of good quality going forward with the way that we play is going to be a risk. Yeah. And it's going to be the same thing in terms of how they're going to break in behind or try and attempt to kind of break in behind our high line and how we're going to cope with that. As much of a cliche as it is, I think that this game is won and lost in midfield and on paper they you have that's an elio line it, it really yeah oh god yeah don't you say just, you, that kaisado like, <laughs> <laughs> i don't think Labby is fit but Kaiseido, enzo and gallagher is a good material there's a combination of good technical quality and a hell of a lot of running in there mm. with somebody like gallagher and Kaiseido also so look i'm not a tactical expert by any means which you've seen just by my response because i'm talking about it on a very kind of top <laughs> level way all i know is is that I kind of trust Ange to get the better of Poch because if I think of Poch's time at Tottenham is that I remember him being an excellent manager and a good coach. His management of like a football club was A, A+. plus as a coach on a tactical level, he was a B Mm. and I don't have the knowledge to be able to explain what he was doing wrong, but there were so many times. I mean, I remember, for example, Juventus at home when Allegri made a change and it was obvious to, I say at home at Wembley, it was obvious to everybody in that stadium that something had changed and Pochettino had no idea what to do to respond to it. And that happened against Klopp and happened against Pep. And I think from what we've seen, I think Andrew's a more tactically astute manager. So whatever surprise they spring on us, I'm not, Massively concerned in terms of our ability to respond to it tactically. I'm really, really not. It will be down to the players. So if
0: we take the lead, we'll win, basically.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll win 6-0. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think one of the things that undid Potch at Spurs and maybe his general undoing now is that when he came over, that level of pressing and that level of winning the ball back early in order to start your attacks high up the pitch wasn't really a thing in this league. A lot of people like to say Pep brought it over here. Actually, Poch brought it over here. And Mm. that was something that you'd only really seen in Spain with Pep's Barcelona, really. So Mm. I think when he brought that over here, not many other teams were equipped to deal with it. And centre-backs weren't the centre-backs you have now. These days, the majority of teams in the Premier League that have been here over a couple of years have... Good ball playing centre backs. Even Crystal Palace have, uh, Joshua Martin and Anderson, don't they? So they have centre backs who can resist pressure. Back then, your average centre back outside of maybe the top couple of clubs was someone like, what's it called, the Birmingham guy Johnson or whatever his name was. Like it was still back in the days of, uh, hoof and hope. Be, yeah. Yeah. Hoof and hope from centre backs. Maybe, maybe not quite to that extent, but it certainly wasn't like it is now. Now, by the end of Pochettino's time here, Klopp was over here with the gagging Press. Guardiola was here with a sort of tiki-taka version three. You had even people like Emery over here with Arsenal as well. You had lots of teams playing in a way that could both replicate and combat that. And so what Pochettino brought was no longer unique and no longer special. And it fizzled out a little bit. And I think his major problem is he still seems to be the same manager that he was back then, he hasn't mm. really evolved. And because he hasn't really evolved and because he's still trying to win the same way, I think it's going to get shown yeah. up unless he basically has a pep style, two best players in the league for every position squad. So he's an uh, old dinosaur, because,
0: basically, like Mourinho.
1: Well, that's the thing, in a really weird way, he kind of is a dinosaur, <laughs> except mm-hmm. his style was very, very short-lived. And yeah. the greatest managers always evolve their style and their tactics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wenger reinvented his, Ferguson reinvented his, Pep reinvented his yeah. a couple.
0: Arteta uses 26 formations a game.
1: Exactly I mean as the guy whose poster you have on his wall said when he guested on us uh, John McKenzie um, (laughs) who would have ever thought that Pep Guardiola would be playing with two six foot plus defensive midfielders and Erling Haaland up front but football evolves and Pochettino hasn't really and when you actually think of when he first came to the Premier League or when he first came to us let's say first big job in the Premier League no disrespect Southampton Mm. that was that was nearly a decade ago his first season was 14-15 so this is this, this is his 10th season since he was spurs manager and he's trying to do the same things that is a hell of a long time in football yeah
0: i'm going to be really interested to see what they do in terms of pressing i want to see if they press when romero has the ball and i want to see how hard they go in on basuma because i think basuma looked a little bit shaky on the ball for the first time in the last game so it'd be interesting to see if they've looked at that and thought we can nick it off him so i think if we can play around that well then we'll be in for a lot of luck i'm also really curious to see who's faster out of mudrick and van de ven <laughs> i feel like if they get in a straight line race that's going to be an interesting one isn't it so uh, yeah lots of exciting things to look out for the big question is if we beat them it's <laughs> good that be Pochettino's last game. What do you reckon? I think it will
1: be. I think it will be I don't like saying it to the truth because I genuinely no. don't don't get me wrong I don't want him to succeed because I don't want Chelsea to succeed but I also don't no. wish ill on the guy and to the truth how much ill am I wishing because if he gets sacked he'll also be given four years worth of contract payout or something like that I imagine Although yeah. well, no they usually have break forces but he'll get a lot of money for he'll not a lot of points. he'll be fine he'll be fine exactly yeah. Um, yeah. I think he will he'll get, get a job in Saudi Arabia or something god see that would be worse than managing Chelsea in my eyes uh, <laughs> just because well obvious reasons yep. I think it It will be his last if we beat them, particularly if we beat them and it really is, regardless of score, domination and absolute mauling. So let's see what happens. I really hope none of this comes back to bite me in the arse because
0: I've really set myself up for a big (laughs) fall here. I think we all agree with that one, Elio. Socks, before we wrap things up, any final thoughts on either of the games?
2: Uh, I think we will win. Mm -hmm. I think we will win about (laughs) 6-0 and I think it will be dubbed from that point onwards as the (laughs) <laughs> and we will look back on it in years to come and talk about the glorious cutting that we gave
0: Chelsea and then he'll be sacked them for six those are is, my is thoughts this the first I mean, episode, the is Ayo, this the first episode where we don't bleep the swearing because it's going to be a hard hitting one if it's, it's not yeah, very
1: pointedly <laughs> <laughs> dropped c-bomb after c-bomb oh wow
0: oh, I mean it had to be for Chelsea didn't it anyway I think that's probably about all we have time for but I will leave you with this excellent tweet from Duncan Alexander aka at Oily Sailor Spurs now have a record of 8-2-0 after 10 games a lovely tribute to Antonio Conte's favourite formation thought that one was (laughs) entertaining. brilliant well we will see you next time around where we'll be looking back on the 6-0 demolition of Chelsea or Elio (laughs) firmly (laughs) eating his words and some humble pie let's hope it is the former and let's hope we've got a lot of interesting things to talk about then lots of exciting stuff let's hope we're still top of the league and uh, let's hope that we can get revenge on that judas pochettino for good till then stay classy spurs fans we'll see you next week